Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say. Your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Australia and Indian nose ahead. Pakistan come up on the inside rail. And England are in danger of throwing the rider. This is GC World Cup Extra. Cricket. This is all about cricket. Gorilla cricket. Not just runs and wickets. So come and get it. Gorilla cricket podcast. Welcome to episode four of GC World Cup Extra, the weekly World Cup podcast from your favourite independent commentary providers, GorillaCricket.com. I'm your host, Knuckle M. Pandey, and this week I'm joined by the main men, the head honjos, the grandest of grand fromage. It's Nigel Hendo Henderson and Nigel the Bear Walker. Welcome, friends. Good evening. Good evening. Good morning. Um, good dawn or good dusk, I suppose I should say. Yes. Wherever you may be. And whenever you may be listening to this, if you are listening to this from the year 2035, <laughs> welcome, welcome, welcome. It's been the week of batting first in uh, the World Cup. Uh, the results of the last seven days are as follows Sri Lanka beat England by 20 runs at Headingley India beat Afghanistan by 11 runs at Southampton an absolute cracker of a game where Jaspreet Bumrah and Mohammed Shami rescued India after a, a wonderful bit of uh, uh, late order resistance from Mohammed Nubby New Zealand versus beat the West Indies at, by 5 runs at Old Trafford an absolutely extraordinary game of cricket New Zealand uh, trying and almost succeeding in giving every single inhabitant of the North and South Island a heart attack Pakistan beat South Africa by 49 runs at Lords. Bangladesh beat Afghanistan by 62 runs at Southampton. A wonderful all-round performance again by Shakib Al-Hassan, which we will come on to in great detail. Great lavish praise later in uh, the podcast. Australia beat England by 64 runs at Lords, a game which is currently being uh, replayed on our screens, much to the chagrin of the gentleman to my left. Pakistan beat New Zealand by six wickets at Exmouth and a wonderful innings by Harris Sahail seeing Pakistan over the line. And today, uh, just a few hours ago, in fact, India beat the West Indies by 125 runs at Old Trafford. So, yes, we are recording on Thursday, the 27th of June. Uh, Yeah, that's of those games, only one of them won by the chasing side. Yeah, it's funny, isn't it? Because 
most of the time, I mean, we watch England most of the time, and it's always about chasing. It's always about you come to a competition game, runs on a ball, really bloody count. And you have this situation where everyone's actually a bit scared of chasing because if it goes wrong, it can go horribly wrong, as we saw today, actually, in fact, with the West Indies. And it wasn't a big total they had to chase. But they went all wrong. And once the wickets start to flow, you're actually in a competition. You only ever do this if you're lucky every two years in the T20 World Cup and, and the World Cup once every four years. So it's, it, it's very different to a bilateral series. And you notice that by the people talking on the telly. And I think people have realised in a competition get the runs on the board no matter how much you get in fact India getting 267 you can still put pressure on the side because you know especially now at this point in, in, in the competition only Australia have qualified India look like going to qualify New Zealand have got hard games to come but probably qualify England are in, in deep doo-doo having lost two games this week but it is in their hands but the pressure is now really on and we did say before we were talking before the competition maybe four wins uh, four losses possibly even five losses and you'll still get through I, I always thought that you, to be absolutely safe, you need six wins from the, from the outset. I felt, and uh, well, what, what what can England end up with? They can end up with six wins, can't they? they? Can, They've got four yeah. out of the the seven they've played so far. Um, yeah, this this this. It seems as, as if there's been a complete about turn, doesn't there? And it's it's now. I, I often think there's a fashion involved, and, and you see a couple of games go that way. It gets talked about in the press and the media, and then suddenly the captains think to themselves. Hang on, maybe I should be uh, maybe I should be uh, batting first. Well, we've seen a number of teams actually bowl first in on good batting tracks, and have been uh, Tony Bishop, uh, our commentator um, colleague of ours, who was on the podcast uh, recently, used the phrase, and I used the phrase as well, seduced by the conditions. We saw Bangladesh uh, be the recipients of that against South Africa back in the very first week of the tournament. South Africa played into Bangladesh's hands by bowling first. England, to an extent, did that against Australia, although on another day they could have had Australia 70 for five in the first 20 overs. Yeah, I think that's absolutely right. Um, there was talk afterwards that they bowled a little bit too short. I think that's being really picky. Um, I think it was set off by the fact that uh, Jason Beredorf went into a press conference and said that uh, Australia had been looking at England's lengths and decided they wanted to bowl a bit fuller. Uh, there may be something in that. I, I think there was... Well, whether uh, the conditions were slightly different um, or whether it was just that uh, the likes of Berendorf and Stark bowled better, they certainly seemed to get more swing. Uh, England didn't get as much swing. They did get the ball to move um, off the pitch more. Um, Wokes, I think, cut Finch or Warner in half um, really early on. And you felt like you felt like they needed to get two wickets and, and then they would have been into the uh, Australian team. And when that didn't happen, I still think England did really well to pull the game back from the situation that they were in and having um, restricted Australia I I actually expected them to win that game I think they were not favourites but I think it was a 50-50 shout at, uh, at the innings break and I think you say England pulled it back I think Australia again threw away a really promising start they Australia baffle me in this tournament they really do Finch and Warner are obviously a really good opening partnership although Warner's had a couple of really odd innings but they have no they have no plan for for actually capitalising on that it's Glenn Maxwell do something yeah. and then well, nothing yeah I mean there has been that in their middle order in their batting but their plan in their bowling is you uh, I mean I was on commentary when uh, Stark bowled uh, Stokes oh we'll come and to I, that uh, yeah well exactly but the point is those are there to go to men they got Cummins and Stark so two very 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 fine bowlers and they always so far in this tournament except for against India and into a certain degree they did against India They've got them out of a hole. They've got them that wicket when they desperately need that wicket. They bring, they go to Stark and Cummins in the 30th over, and invariably they get the break. And Berendorf made a massive difference coming in and actually being 
a threat. Because Coulson Isles bowled okay at times in this tournament. Obviously, he played that absurd innings against the West Indies with the bat. Mm. But Berendorf basically bowling like Mitchell Stark, bowling full. Well, that kind of probably seduced Australia into giving Coulton Isle a couple more games than he might normally have got. Uh, the, the fact that he batted so incredibly in that particular game. Um, hasn't so, done since. And hasn't done anything since. And, and obviously, having not done anything since, you know, they've looked at um, alternatives. Um, Berendorfer did, did bowl particularly well. I mean, I don't know whether we're going to talk about it later, but I would, I would like to say that I think that Aaron Finch has handled his bowlers and when he's used his bowlers, especially his strike bowlers, um, has been exemplary, really, in this tournament. He's not been afraid to get uh, Mitchell Stock off, off after three overs, if necessary, um, and give him, a, uh, give him a chance a little bit later. Um, I think what um, hamstrung England a little bit is they were so desperate to get that early wicket that they possibly went on with Wokes and Archer too long and that for, on that morning. I can understand why they bowl Wokes for that time, although it did compromise the strength of theirs because Wokes is a very good death bowler as well. Uh, there's a stat that was going around that of all of the occasions that the team have been numbed down after 20 overs, no one has played more false shots than Australia did in those first 20 overs. 30% were false shots. Australia were very lucky, but they used that luck very well. Uh, again, though, I mean, it depends how you define a full shot. I mean, do you define a full shot as a, um, a play and miss, or do you define it as um, a, a ball that just falls out of the reach of the fielder? Um, I think all, all of, of the, them. All of, all the, of the above. The above right. All of those. Um, uh, you know, a drive that skews off. The, I mean, um, you know, first over or second over, wasn't it? Finch played hard at a ball, got totally... F- Totally beaten in the air. Yeah, an inside uh, edge that goes past the keeper. Yeah, exactly, and it flew over the slip to four. You know, I mean, it, they worked. They did have a lot of luck, and sometimes you've got to ride your luck and you win. I mean, it's ODI cricket. Shit happens all the time, you know. Yeah, yeah, that's true. I mean, yeah, I, I don't know. I think that there's a difference. I mean, if you, if you play and miss and you miss the ball by, I don't know, six inches, um, if the ball's done too much, say, um, is that as false a shot as a, a badly played effort that so, just drops so the, short of the field? These I don't come know. from Crookinfo's control metrics. Well, uh, well, well, someone better tell me what a control metric is. So it's, <laughs> it's, a, it's a measure of how in control the, the batter is of the particular shot they're playing. Basically, a batter tries to play a shot and then it is assessed whether they got the result they wanted to from that shot. And there was a lot of occasions in the first 20 overs where Warner and Finch really did not get what they wanted from the shot. Um, and of course there's an element of subjectivity but the, the criteria for that are quite well set and that's been quite well calibrated over the last over the last few years um, but then England with the with the bat kind of went back to old England in a way it, it was block slog it was block block slog slog block well, yeah, yeah. well that's not, I don't think that is old England I think that is New England I, I think that they actually um, want to continue playing shots when perhaps they need to rein themselves in a little bit we've seen actually in this tournament um, and India are a prime example who don't go out all guns blazing and actually build uh, from a solid foundation which is what England tried to do in the past uh, hasn't always worked I mean if you go back to the likes of Jonathan Trott he was a guy who did want to uh, to do to, to, to um, s- s- you know make a solid basis Trott, for the innings Trott is a prime example and Root actually is a prime example of the opposite of block slog their well, dot ball percentages were very very low England in the last World Cup and in the last World Cup cycle had the lowest, sorry, had the highest dot ball percentage of any team in the world. Well, that's what that they had a lot of those against Australia. Like, there's no way that 
uh, Australia's change bowlers should have been going at four and over. Well, no, you've got to look at you've got to look at rotating in those circumstances, and that's what I think they said after the, uh, a lot of the people were saying after the game was that England didn't rotate the strike. But that's what they've been very good at in the last few years. Actually, yeah, the, the no. dot ball percentage has been very low. Root and Morgan are superb at working the, yeah, working the strike around. I, I, I mean, and I think if you look at uh, all the sides, they've, even now, even though we talk about the modern era of ODI cricket, every ODI side needs that person like Root, like uh, Kane, like Virat Kohli, to maybe less degree hits more boundaries. But uh, Steve Smith. Steve Smith, these guys who do ro- just rotate the strike, rotate the strike. You know, before you know it, Root's on 20 off 20, and he always is doing that. He's almost always scoring at a run of ball or just over. It's the low dot ball percentage. Yeah, exactly. but you're talking about but belli- you're talking about England being belligerent up top, and that is really what's given them, um, I suppose, the mantle they've had recently. Well, yes. is, is, the, is this notion of Bairstow and Roy, or Bairstow, Roy and Hales, Bairstow and Hales, Roy and Hales? Who knows? Um, I, th- I think that England, not England so much, I just think that Johnny Bairstow is missing Jason Roy more than you can imagine. Well, I think he's missing Jason Roy, and if it wasn't Jason Roy, it should be Hales, and you've heard me rant about this on the, on the show. Yeah. I, I, you know, I think it's a big mistake by England. You've got to play. Sport is hard. The Australians wouldn't do this uh, if they made an agreement with a player. I mean, I know what happened with Smith and Warner, and they were banned for a year, but that was decided at the top. If they made a decision at the top, if they had been England, that Hales was going to be forgiven for the incident that happened and everything was going to go through and he was available for the World Cup. He would have played in the World Cup. And without Hales, Vince, Vince, I hate to say it, but he does look out of his depth. He looks like a rabbit in the headlights at times. He's been thrust into a World Cup side that's been prepared for four years with basically without him in it. Yep. And now he's there to do a job I also that he's think not capable of doing. Interesting, another guy who could have come into this team and done really well is Sam Billings. Who has been around the setup and actually has yeah. done very well in the few chances he's got, and but he got a really bad injury at yeah. the wrong time. Yeah. Um, there's no legislating for what he did. It was a sort of a freak injury, and now his knee's blown out. Um, we're we're going to move on from England uh, temporarily, at least. Uh, some absolutely ex- uh, brilliant games uh, after uh, sort of in between that. Uh, India Afghanistan at, uh, at Southampton, a fantastic game of cricket. It was. Uh, I was stuck in the Sainsbury's Park car park when it started. But I, was listening, <laughs> I was listening to you boys on the way back. Uh, yeah, uh, that's a story for another day, but uh, which will come out soon. Um, yeah, and we listened to you guys on the way back, and uh, we lost you on the M3. Uh, and I got back, and we, uh, we'd seen that Rowett was out early with an absolute corker. And I was kind of like, mm, this is going to be interesting. I got home, they'd only scored that, and I started watching the Afghanistan response, and I was like, they're going to do it, they're going to do it, they're going to do it. And they just kept losing wickets at the wrong time, and then it got away from them at the end. Uh, and it was a shame. It was a, it was a damn fine game, and the game that followed it was also very good. Uh, yes, it was. New Zealand-West Indies. Uh, New Zealand have played uh, a couple of crackers in a row, basically, against South Africa and against and against the West Indies and you know, the way that distilled down to one moment we'll talk about that later but uh, that catch from Trent Bolt to, uh, uh, to dismiss Carlos Brathwaite but, uh, but the West Indies should, probably should never have been in the position they were in well, if you want me to answer that no I watched it and I watched that second innings and uh, Chris Gale and Hetmar were going on like a train and everything was looking really swimming I mean they lost the two early wickets but uh, when I caught up with it it was somewhere in the late teens and they were 50 runs ahead of where New Zealand were they were serenely going along Hetmal played a bit of a I thought it was a rash shot uh, Bishop was going mental on the TV because <laughs> well it was a it was a slower Lockie Ferguson bowling 150 k's really quick what Lockie Ferguson does and he bowled a slower ball into the pitch and Hetmal went through with a shot I think he's a bit 
bit harsh on him because we all know a ball at 90 miles an hour you're expecting you kind of premeditate as it were the brain premeditates and so he's going to play that shot but he got bowled but then what happened after that that was wrong West Indies were so far ahead all they had to do was go along at about five and over and the game was won but, but they they you know England got out of block 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 wild slog for a few years uh, through a lot of deliberate effort the West Indies have never gone out of that mode no they haven't but they've certainly got players who have got the capability uh, as you know I mean I've been speaking a lot with Clive Lloyd over the last few weeks Ding, he's got that. <laughs> <laughs> name drop um, but he's been going a bit apoplectic and his particular IRE is aimed at Poran and uh, Hetmeyer um, because he uh, and I had this conversation with him because I thought uh, it was a similar situation to what Stokes was in when he got that 200 odd against South Africa he suddenly got into a mood where every time he came in, he wanted to hit it out of the park. And actually, you've got more talent than that. You've got more time than that. And whilst you can hit those shots, if you're a bit more intelligent, as Ben Stokes turns out to have been in the last, uh, certainly in this World Cup, looks like a player for the Cup for England, uh, he has been able to time his innings, pick the bad balls to hit, taking a few risks, but most of the time he plays pretty sensible. If they'd have done that, they'd have got through that match. Well, I'd make the point that um, the, the likes of West Indies and England, to a certain extent, what they are lacking is cricketing intelligence a lot of the time. And I make this point over and over again um, that you cannot... Well, we're looking now, we're just uh, watching a, a replay of the England-Australia game that's on the screen in front of us. And, and you look at that and you think, well, hang on, you've got yourself into a position. You've got yourself out of, out of a real deeply difficult position. You've, uh, you've begun to consolidate and then you just throw it away again with a big shot. And, and shortly um, before that, Morgan did exactly the same. He... Yeah. He came out, and, 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 and you're talking about he, how he, he does rotate the strike really well. He's one of those guys who can do that, Root being another. He came out, um, came down the wicket to Mitchell Stark, drove him beautifully for four, and then uh, the next over, he tries to pull his first delivery, uh, and he's done. Morgan was odd. I don't understand why quite he looked as though he was batting like they were chasing 360. Actually, Morgan is a, bet, is a much better player than that. Well, I, I agree. They're all really good players. I just think that sometimes they've got into this um, this mode of playing uh, that means that, that they don't actually stop and think. They just want to play by instinct the whole time. And and, and I go back to that game, um, Australia-West Indies, uh, when Andre Russell was allowed to do exactly the same. He came out at pot point when, uh, really, he just needed to keep the, the score moving. And um, West Indies would have chased that down without too many problems. I'm absolutely convinced of that. Mash was saying, well, you know, um, he's been given license to play this way. But I, I really don't think you should be doing that as a coach. I don't think you sh- should be saying to uh, a player, play in one way. I think you've got to say, be intelligent enough to be flexible. Is it also a, an element of uh, confidence? Is that actually it's almost a more confident thing to block a few, nudge a few, uh, knock some singles around and trust yourself to catch up later. Yeah, I think there's an element of that. Absolutely right. Um, uh, what Joss Butler has done a number of times, actually, than actually what Ben Stokes has done three times in this tournament. Well, I think Ben Stokes has become, uh, whatever you may say about him off the field, he is a highly intelligent cricketer. And yeah. he does use his brain w- when he's out there. Um, he's got all the talent to play all the shots, but he actually thinks about it as well. And we saw that not just in one-day cricket. We've seen how his um, test... Uh, innings have matured in in many ways and you get and, and still you get this criticism why isn't Ben Stokes playing the way he was in test cricket three two three years ago well he's he's developed he's matured that's sure. the why he's although his that test way. average is actually lower since Brist since he's been playing that way well uh, I don't think that you necessarily have to I mean again you if you look mm. at averages you have to look at the specific innings and what he did in that specific innings and and why he did it I mean uh, uh, 
figures will give you um, a certain amount, but they, they really won't give you I know, the whole report. I, I, it, it, it's not the be on the end of it, it is worth mentioning. Um, moving on from... Um, Moving on from that, uh, Pakistan. Um, Pakistan have come out of nowhere to, you know, there's been the similarities with 1992 are getting so eerie that it seems like people are sort of <laughs> looking for them all over the place. Uh, you know, Safraz Ahmed will almost certainly come out either holding a tiger or wearing a tiger at some point uh, in the tournament. Uh, we'll come on to Safraz a little bit uh, later, but we should, uh, should talk about um, uh, the game. We took a little bit out of the game we just uh, seen because we'll come on to Bangladesh and Pakistan uh, when we go into our moments and players and performances of the week. But just the, just the game we've just seen between India and the West Indies at Old Trafford. Well, India are just a machine that's, that's going to be very hard to beat, I think. Um, Australia lost them by, what, 30-odd runs, 40 runs. And yet, as people said, many people said, it wasn't as close as that. Uh, India just seemed to be riding the crest of a wave. They've got talent in all areas. Um, I can't see who's going to beat them unless some, some, some team like New Zealand has a great day. Um, unless England, if they get that far, have a great day. Well, I mean, you say get that far. Uh, you say that far is Sunday. Uh, in in fact, look, England playing. England haven't played anywhere near their best cricket in this World Cup. England playing at their best can beat India. I think. They did last I summer. think they played pretty close to their best in the first game. Uh, they 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 we thought against at South the time Africa. against South Africa. I, I think they, we thought they were a little under par because they didn't smash three hundred and eighty four hundred. Uh, as it turned out, they bowled. Um, South Africa bowled well, and they restricted England. And and people will say, well, hang on, I don't remember South Africa playing well in this tournament, but they did actually bowl very well in that first game, uh, and restricted England. Um, and and England bowled a lot better than I expected them to. That's what I would say about England's that game. Bowling through the tournament has been pretty good. I think England's bowling through the tournament has been pretty good. I mean, Archer has been a, a great addition to the side. I think Wood. Wood gets a bit of tap, Wood's but, been, uh, been excellent. but he's get he gets wickets at vital times as well, and he, you know the sheer pace thing works. Um, well, actually, you look at their economy rates, and they're almost identical, just over five and over. Yeah. Mark Wood's taken thirteen wickets at twenty. Jofra Archer's taken sixteen wickets at twenty. They're well, very, very similar records. Uh, Rashid is looking more confident as he's gone in through the tournament. His googly's back. His googly's back. That is weird, isn't it? His googly did just well. He had a sh- he had a shoulder problem. Ah, and, right. Uh, you may remember Shane Warne after about two thousand when he had a shoulder reconstruction, basically couldn't bowl a googly because the arm has to come through higher. There's a lot more strain on the shoulder. Uh, and so um, it was a delivery that he had to shelve. Oh, I did I did wonder about that because I watched mine and I thought, oh, I'm sorry, not mowing uh, at all, Rashid. And, um, you know, what we all thought, English bowler of the tournament. And as he said, you know, what's that? 28, 29 wickets between our two fast, fast bowlers. Mm. Uh, and Adel Rashid has got a bit of tap at times. And you wonder whether it's, it's kind of almost like a double bluff with England. Everyone's looking at Adel Rashid. Meanwhile, they've got extreme pace. I thought, I thought he bowled really well. He, did, he uh, has bowled really well. But people have targeted him. I don't think there's any question about that because he's been expected to do the damage. Uh, one for 44 against Australia, very good. Yeah, in his ten overs, uh, and yeah, his googly was back and it was turning, so uh, uh, no issues there. I think for other Rashid, he's uh, back to being the weapon that England need him to be. I think uh, also you've got to look at the fact that you know when you're playing nine games in a relatively short period of time, and you're always wanting to be at your best, but you're not necessarily you're not necessarily going to be, no. and that's not just about. Um, your your talent. It's it's not just about form. Sometimes it's just about the way you feel in yourself 
on a day-to-day well, basis. And also you don't, I mean, actually England have had a little bit more rest between games, but sometimes you might not necessarily get the chance you need to recover from a little niggle. No. Well, I also thought that it was a bit strange that Afghanistan played two games in three days. Yes, they uh, did. <laughs> yes, they did. And, and uh, that team, I know they didn't actually move in terms of ground. Uh, they, they stayed at the Rose Bowl. But I just thought that's that's quite odd. It kind of felt it? like someone had to, um, because of the way the tournament is structured, because of the influence of the BCCI, mm. uh, kind of had to truncate something. And Afghanistan kind of got the raw end of it. Yeah. Um, you know, again, we're in a half decent position against Bangladesh, and they do seem to be getting more confident as the tournament's gone on. Yeah, they do, and they've played some really good cricket. The one thing you think about Bangladesh, they struggle to take wickets. And so I'm talking uh, about Afghanistan. Oh, Afghanistan. Uh, yeah, uh, Afghanistan. Uh, they've come on. They've certainly uh, improved. Uh, I was a lot more pessimistic about Afghanistan than everyone else before the tournament. Uh, 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 what I thought was their batting would struggle here, and it, it proves to be so. They, they lose too many early wickets, top order. They struggle to keep the score going through the middle, and, and they generally subside for not particularly big scores. Where they had the chance against India and didn't get much runs, and you thought, well, actually, that's is a big chance for them to get through, and they certainly did it. Uh, and it was quite enthralling to watch at the end because you thought, oh, please, just get... And they just kept losing a wicket. And they were always just one wicket behind where they needed to be to be able to be push on towards the end. And it was a shame, but... Uh, yeah. yeah. I mean, I, I think Afghanistan... I don't think they should be do, too despondent. I mean, OK, you can look at Rashid Khan getting absolutely murdered by uh, Owen but Morgan. he's come back that from one. that really well. He's come back from that. And also, um, in terms of a comeback, you've, you've actually got to look at that indie game that Afghanistan played and say, well... They must have been feeling terrible after they were beaten to a pulp, really, by England. And they came back um, against India, and you, and you feared for them. You feared. I mean, I, I wasn't actually watching the game. I was elsewhere, and I, I was checking my phone from time to time. And, you know, I saw that uh, India got to 80, I think, for two or, or something like that. Um, and I think the next time I looked at the score... Um, they were 224 for eight. I thought, what on earth has gone yeah, on there? Yeah, India got out of trouble a little bit with an excellent um, recovery 50 from Kedar Jadav on a very slow pitch. So it could have even been worse. But all, all of their spinners have started. It, it, they, they're playing to their strengths now uh, by, you know, Mujib is bowling a lot of overs at the top of the innings and he's bowling really well now. He's bowled well against England. He bowled well against India. He bowled well against Bangladesh. Rashid Khan's confident again. Mohamed Nubby's bowling uh, quite well. And so you have to play to your strength uh, and they're starting to do that a little bit they've changed the way they're playing in terms of the batting they've dropped well Mohamed Shazal we talked, we talked a lot about on this podcast yeah. his injury non-injury whatever and Hazrat Hullah is now out of the team as well so they've gone for tried to go for solidity at the top of the order now and just getting some kind of score on the board yeah I wonder whether that was the right way to go I mean I was kind of looking forward to Hazrat Hullah playing a little bit more because I just thought he will come off in one game and if he does he could win the game for them uh, because you know we've seen that uh, amazing innings he had in T20 he hasn't done it at ODI level quite yet but I just think it's not that far away having seen just a few instances of him hitting the ball he he, he murders the ball yes. he absolutely but he murders so it he is leg side dominant he is leg side dominant from what I've seen you're absolutely right and I guess you know international class bowlers can pick up on that and we'll pick up on that quickly and it'll spread around the world and that might restrict him but if, if he can just <laughs> it's almost worth having one day of Hazratullah and, uh, oh, and, and and see see what happens. Uh, yeah. So I'm a little bit disappointed that they didn't stick with him in, in, in one respect. But I just would go back and say I don't think even if, if Afghanistan come out of this tournament uh, nine defeats, um, then I don't think it's been a wasted experience for no. them at all. Uh, uh, um, we're going to look obviously we're going to look back when Phil Simmons comes out and tells us what's been going on behind the scenes. That will um, have some bearing. But I also think they surely they'll have picked up um, invaluable experience from this. Uh, yeah, although I. 
argue whether a World Cup is about experience. They would have gone into this World Cup expecting themselves to win one or two games, and they haven't really played well. uh, to their to their potential. I don't think. I think they've they've let themselves down in the field a lot. Yeah, uh, their fielding has not true. been as bad as this uh, for for the last few years. Uh, there's obviously a lot going on behind the scenes, and it's clearly had an impact uh, on on the way the team are playing. Yeah, uh, I mean, I, I mean, at times they just haven't given themselves a chance. I mean, you look at some of the guys they've gone back to, like Noor Ali uh, Zadran, um, eventually opening at, at one point, and and if you looked at his record, he had a pretty good record in his early days. Um, hasn't had much um, cricket of late, and it seemed to me a bit of a surprise that they went back to well, him. Well, they've had four different opening partnerships. They yeah, with well, there Rashford you go. And Gulbadeen opening against. And I suppose also uh, Ramat Shah's been a little bit of a disappointment. I mean, he is uh, the Test captain. He is more renowned. And, and, and they, they want him in the team because they feel like he's someone who gives them stability where others are a bit more impetuous. Um, but he hasn't really um, come through in this World Cup, so that's going to be a disappointment. No, he's played a few nice innings. But yeah, without really ever taking hold of anything. No, without being the, the, the rock. Yeah, indeed. Uh, so that's that's uh, the week that we just covered. Unless Bear, you want to uh, chip in anything before we move on to our, our our highlights of the week, which we'll go into in a bit more depth. No, we'll go there. Yeah. So uh, we uh, ask every guest to pick out a player of the week, a performance of the week, and a moment of the week. And uh, Hendo, we'll go to you first because your player of the week is the uh, I think the man who we must describe uh, sort of by contractual obligation, really, as the much maligned uh, Pakistan captain. Yeah. There's a star keeping in his side. At least he's not an Akmo, cause that would blow our minds. There's a star keeping in his side. He's been told not to drop it. Let's hope he is worthwhile, he told me. If the batsman pick it, it will be a wicket. Let all batsmen be good behind. And it was his catching behind the wicket that particularly impressed you, Henry. Yeah, absolutely brilliant catch in the middle of a, a good spell from Shaheen Afridi, um, diving to his right. I, I think what was so impressive about it was the fact that the slip that he had had been pushed that much wider. So he didn't have an orthodox first slip. And, and in fact, apart from in the very first few overs of any of these games, uh, we haven't had an orthodox first slip. After about two overs, the slip, if he remains, tends uh, to go a lot the wider. Unless been really on top. Yeah, yeah, which uh, you know hasn't necessarily happened a, a huge amount, um, and, and it, was, it was just a great catch. He dived away to his right; it was quite low, and uh, grasped it in his uh, outstretched right hand. Um, and and I thought, well, this is this is wonderful. He's taken a, a lot of criticism, and I think some of it justified. I don't think he's a very good captain. I really don't. I've seen him at Test level, and I've seen him at ODI oh, level, and I don't we, think he's a good we captain. We were there in Malahide. Yeah, exactly. they, uh, well, it was at the third day of actual play on that game when Kevin O'Brien was putting on that hundred and uh, batting very well with Stuart Thompson with Tyrone Kane. Uh, but there were we counted two fielding changes in two sessions. Yeah, I mean, he, he it's almost as if he goes into his own little cocoon and, and isn't aware that he has a, another job to do apart from wicket-keeping. Um, and then he starts shouting at people. Well, yeah, and he does get and that does get people's backs up a little bit as well. Um, I can go on to say why I think he's a player of the week, not just for that one moment, if you want me to. Go ahead. Um, yeah, a little story that came out this week um, about um, Safraz uh, with his child or children, I think in a shopping centre, um, after the India game and um, a Pakistan fan uh, picked up his phone decided to video him called him a fat pig which is not very nice um, 
apparently or reportedly um, it made his wife who's back at the hotel once she saw the footage that was shared on social media um, very upset she was crying about it and he, he turned around and basically said well you know people get very passionate about cricket and I thought that was a very level headed way to approach it you might say well what's he going to do turn around and smack him um, and, and yes that would Inzy be that might. would well Inzy might, Inzy might and, and that would actually be the human response in a way and, and particularly I, when you're with your child yeah absolutely and, and I admire I admire his restraint in that situation, uh, not to make a situation worse. Yes, people do get passionate. We all get passionate. We all shout things at the, at the telly. I don't think we'd walk up to Owen Morgan and uh, that, say things like that. What you're talking about is not passion. That's, well, it is. that's toxicity. That's an entitlement of... Uh, that's an, a level of entitlement amongst fandom. Just because I you're a fan it, or just because you're passionate think does it not is. mean you have a right to personally abuse people. No, I don't, think it's, I don't think it's a sense of entitlement because it's not like Pakistan are ripping up trees in winning tournaments left, right and centre. But that's um, why it's entitled. Well, no, I don't think so. I, I think it is pure, pure anger, disappointment. We turn on the people that we like and uh, we have to find a scapegoat and Safraz is quite um, a willing scapegoat because perhaps of his body language in the field. Um, but yeah, that is going too far. But it, it, the reason I'm saying entitlement is because you know Pakistan are an okay, slightly less than okay cricket team with some talented players. They're going to win some games. They're going to lose some games. They're going to play badly. They're going to play well. As a fan, you're not entitled to your team playing well. No, you're, you're not, not entitled to your team winning. No, you're not. And you're certainly not entitled to when they don't play well to personally abuse people. Well, you, you're taking a very logical approach to fandom <laughs> um, because that, that is not my experience of most fans in, in a lot of sports. That, I mean, cricket is not the worst. Uh, football is probably the worst for that. Um, and people do abuse even the people that they admire and actually would, would hold in, in great stead uh, I, to a large I, extent. I, I think we have to have a serious look at ourselves as sport, fan, as sport fans. Well, you, you're, you're right. You are right. But I think in the environment that sport is played, which is one of enormous publicity, of um, enormous um, visibility, um, that people do get upset and, and people have you know not everyone has great lives people have things that go on in their lives and they're not very happy people and that is where the expression of rage comes out in a lot of cases it's like road rage I think to a certain extent it's, it's not justified it's not logical but it happens and I, I agree you, you do and maybe that person who, who um, took that footage and said those things maybe he's sitting at home now feeling deeply ashamed and I hope he is I, w- I would hope so and yeah, it's not but I think a lot of people will do but it's, it, in the heat of the moment people get o- it, overly passionate it is not just about the actions of individuals it's about the culture of sports fandom which allows those things to happen well, it is, but and allows those things to be accepted yeah but that is an, okay it's a bigger discussion perhaps but I think that, that that is what happens with sport because if you look at the back pages in sport it's always about the personalities it's always trying to find fault with someone and so fans absorb that and then if we if we you know if we then sit back and say oh you're terrible people because you um shouted something rude at somebody uh, we are not taking responsibility uh, those people of us those of us in the media and we at gorilla cricket are in the media uh, we do have to take our own responsibility well, for that quite right and and we are part of we're part of the the creation of that culture and we have to look and we have to take a little bit of responsibility we do but I don't think many people will do uh, that's uh, the problem well I'll slate people on air but I'll, I'll apologise later you know I think that is part of being a fan but I certainly I, I, personally I hadn't read this story I've been completely out of the news for a couple of weeks um, that, that's what happens when you get with Clive well yeah you know. <laughs> Deep. Um, but uh, I certainly think that's out of order whoever did that and if he did that it's a very dignified response yeah absolutely 
Uh, yeah, so Sofras has had to put up with a lot, as you do as a as a captain, but uh, uh, and particularly as a cap of a captain as well supported the team as Pakistan. But uh, there are some things which with with which uh, you should not have to put up, uh, and so Sofras has um, has done well to keep his head. And Pakistan are still in this tournament somehow. Indeed, uh, but uh, a bit well, of momentum, as they say, or apparently. Uh, but uh, we'll uh, come on. We'll move on. From that, and uh, well, Bear and I actually ended up picking up the same person as our uh, as our player of the week. Uh, it is the man who's been the superhero for Bangladesh for so long. Uh, it is Mr. Shakib Al Hassan. Oh, yeah, Shakib. Nobby in outside off stump, too short and cut hard by Shakib Al Hassan. Beats the dive of uh, the man at uh, well, sort of a squarish gully, and uh, Shakib picks up his first boundary. Rashid in again. Shakib hacks him away onto the leg side. They take a single, and uh, Rashid completes his over uh, slightly leg sideish. Shakib who just uh, whips in away for another single. This is edged into the leg side, but a gap is found and another single taken. And yet another World Cup 50 for Shakib Al Hassan. Only failed to pass 50 once in his five innings, 476 runs at 95.2, and uh, a strike rate just shy of a runner ball. But uh, he came to the party with the ball as well in that game against Afghanistan. Shove a pipe up my ass, put some beer in it. Oh! That is a really good bit of bowling and a great bit of fielding. And uh, intelligent as well. Shaki's got a second week. He's got two for four and he's in his fifth over. Oh, oh wow. he's been oh, bowled he through the gates. Nabi has gone. Uh, that one's just gone straight on with the arm. I, I mean, this is amazing. Shakib has got three for four in 4.3 overs. Shakib in again, and that oh, is that's hard. And that is going to be out. Oh, oh I thought dear, he'd got hold of it dear. and he hadn't. It drops uh, into the hands of the man out at mid-wicket. And uh, Afghan is out. It's going to be 117 for six. Shakib in. Uh, oh, Uh-oh. and he's uh, done Najibullah completely. Najibullah comes down the track uh, and is beaten by one that Shakib held back and threw a little bit wider. Mushfiqur Rahim does the rest. Shakib al-Hassan has a five for brilliant bowling by Shakib al-Hassan. Five for 25. Afghanistan 188 for seven. Shove a pipe up my ass. He's good. Yeah, yeah, he is. Uh, t- tell me about that, Bear. I'm more oh, interested I in that. I'm more interested in that than Shakim's five. We do not recommend beer <laughs> enemas. Yeah, well, I mm. think we were talking about absorption, absorptive, uh, absorptive parts of the body. Oh, right. Okay. And, and uh, that in that, uh, what do you, what are those pills you stick at your suppositories? Yeah. I think we were on that anyway. Uh, no, Shakim. I I saw him. Um, in a winning cause against uh, the West Indies down in Taunton, and he was magnificent. Uh, I saw him in a losing cause against the Australians. He was magnificent. <laughs> and that bowling performance against Afghanistan was magnificent. I mean, he's just, you know, he, he is, if Afghanistan are looking to a side to emulate at the moment with the players they've got, but you look at Bangladesh, and you look at Bangladesh and World Cup's gone past 10 years ago. That, yeah, they got to a semi-final, they got a bit lucky. Uh, and with a core of players who've remained the same, they've gained so much experience in international cricket, and it's why there should be more teams in the World Cup. It's why there should be more test teams, because you it's only we, get better. It's why we believe in a bigger exactly, World Cup. You only get better by playing against better sides, because you learn and you gain experience. Yep. And it's Bangladesh side have gained so much experience over the years, and they're a bloody good unit, and the one thing they can't do is take wickets at the top of the order. But as a unit, they look really happy, and they should be very proud of what they've done, whether they get through or not, I think. Yeah, for and sure. Shaki's the man who's you know led the way. Must um, Mushfiqur's batting has been fantastic. 
Yeah, well, they've been great. Mamadullah came to the party yeah. earlier in the tournament. Uh, Litton Das has been a rev not a revelation. I mean, because we saw him score that brilliant hundred in the Asia Cup final, but he's been very good since coming into the team, replacing Mohammed Mithun, who's the one of the few guys out of form. Somya Sadka has done a decent job at the top of the order. There's been some good contributions. I think Mossadegh and Sokudin have done very well for Bangladesh. Uh, yeah. in their all-round capacity lower down the order the one slight worry the one underperforming major player is Tommy McBall who has a bizarrely poor World Cup record for a guy that good he's got a couple of 50s he was looking good against Australia and then he chopped one on uh, you know he's looked good at times uh, I think we're used to him being a younger player and that's the thing They, you know he's had a bit of bad luck maybe uh, he's not been too bad he's been okay yeah, he's averaging 34 uh, but his overall record in, in the many World Cups that he's played is not as good as his overall career record but um, you know Hendo you know talk about you know, we're talking about leadership with Sofraz um, and we'll come on to the uh, the Bangladesh captain in fact we'll play his jingle now and then uh, then start talking about it but uh, his leadership has been quite incredible oh your knees are yeah, I mean, I think he's he's almost a professional captain um, in the sense that uh, what he provides in terms of cricketing ability is is much beneath that in what, uh, of what he provides as a calm head, as a man who's seen it all and leads this team well um, and understands the strengths of the players that he has around him. Um, he's not really uh, done anything spectacular with his own bowling. I mean, the very fact that he manages to get to the crease is a miracle. Um, uh, so if you're oh, expecting a little ball... He's now listing visibly. Well, yes, absolutely. And it's amazing. I, I mean, he, I, I still think he's younger than he is. He's about 35 now. I, I, for some bizarre reason, I thought he was 31 at the beginning of the tournament. I thought, God, he's been around for a long time. Um, I can remember writing an article about him two World Cups ago. It's he extraordinary. He played in the 2003 World yeah, Cup. Yeah, he's been around for, for forever, really. Um, the worry is that they've got to find um, bowlers... Um, that are going to get them wickets, as, uh, as the bear says at the top of the order. Um, a little bit disappointed with Tammy McBull, uh, but again, it's it's a level of expectation with him, and and so if he falls just a little bit beneath that, we're all disappointed. Uh, but you you can't um, you can't say enough about Mushfiqur and um, Shakib as, as players. And They've just been brilliant. Unlike with Sofraz, you cannot fault uh, Mushrafe's on-field captaincy. Uh, I thought the, he was absolutely brilliant against uh, against Afghanistan. He had two fielders out on the boundary only until probably about the 30th over mm. uh, when he was allowed four. Uh, he had the fielding really tight. The men uh, saving one were right in saving one. And uh, the wicket of Gulbadeen in particular summed this up, put in catching fielders on a slow pitch at a sort of uh, at a short extra cover. And the field that we call in Gorilla Cricket the off Hayden, which is the field, uh, the field of very close to the cut strip, quite straight. Uh, and then he took that very good catch to dismiss Gulbadeen. Yeah, well, I think I mean I think Mortaza serves a, a similar purpose in a different way to Mike Brearley. Ah, um, he was mentioned. <laughs> he was mentioned many a time. Oh, really? Like, yeah, yeah, exactly. I was going to say the, the 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 opinion at the grounds was very much the same. It's like he he is basically Brearley. So how how long can they sort of keep him held together? I mean, can he do another World Cup? Uh, surely not. <laughs> surely not. I mean, he is an MP now, so there'll be some leadership in that uh, regard, perhaps. Well, I mean, if he ends up being as good an MP as uh, he has been a captain, then that's all to the benefit of Bangladesh. Isn't the, it? the Bangladeshi Imran end up leading yeah. the country. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Uh, but hugely impressive, and you know, you talk about you know, I, th- I, I agree. Aaron Finch, I think, has been very good on field as a as a captain. But uh, Mashrafe, um, 
being much more aggressive than he's allowed to be, and it's not something we've seen in the tournament. Yeah, well, I think that's good. I mean, this is it. They've played the circle. That's where our experience comes in. I think uh, a lot of people have been talking about, is, you know, the whole difference between a bilateral series and an actual competition. I mean, we endlessly talk about this in the show. You know, a bilateral ODI series is virtually meaningless. The World Cup actually means something. It has a knockout phase. You can actually win something. Uh, and tournament play is different to a bilateral. And I think having, you know, that team with a spine with that much experience, playing all these World Cups, they've got teams who've been there, done before, learned by their mistakes and said, right, actually... This may not be our natural game, but we can play that way uh, if we want to get points and we want to get through. And it's also it doing it on worked, the hoop. It's yeah. also doing it on the hoof on the on the pitch. Yeah, because, playing a situation. Uh, you know, the, that pitch was slow, and Afghanistan uh, were not able to hit boundaries easily. No one was on that pitch yeah. really, uh, apart from Mushfikul very briefly. Uh, well, what and, I think, and Najib Buller a little bit towards the end of the innings, and Samyula. Uh, what I think you've got with Bangladesh is now a team that's actually beginning to believe in themselves, and I, I think in in. In World Cups or, or even uh, bilateral series that have gone before, they've not quite done that. Yeah. Uh, they've they've been relied on an inspiring performance, someone like Tammy Mikbul, for example. Mehdi Hassan in that series against England. Yeah, exactly, Mehdi Hassan, yeah, uh, t- totally. Um, but I think now they actually, they, there's a bit more belief. Well, I, I mean, it's, it's been coming. Kind of, I mean, they got to the Super Sixes of the 2007 World Cup, um, slightly uh, could have beaten Pakistan um, in a little bit unexpected but 2011 they uh, were really disappointing on their home in their home World Cup but 2015 they got to the quarterfinals and were good value well they beat that. England and, didn't and, they and uh, in, in 2015 they um, in the World Cup they played India in the quarterfinal and you know bar a, a slightly iffy no ball call you know India won that game relatively comfortably in the end but and then you know in the Asia Cup they ran India incredibly close in that final oh, yeah, well, uh, I think, I think we're, we're not as surprised to see them do well as we no, might no, have been before be. no I, I agree but I just think that there was still an element of that but they have actually proved to be um, a very very capable team yep and the new players are coming to the team like Lytton and, um, and Mustafi Zur, who's relatively new. Although, again, he has struggled to take wickets. I think he's, he hasn't taken a wicket in the first 30 overs of an innings yeah. throughout the tournament. And that is a problem. And it's, it it's, the one, it's the one thing that kind of we all picked out about Bangladesh at the start of the tournament. You know, an attacking wrist spinner would help. Yeah, but that's the other thing, I think, is that, that uh, Mustafa Zahr um, created enormous expectations because of his start in his, his international career. He's still bowling very well at the He's depth. still bowling well. I mean, yeah. but he's not taking six wickets here, five wickets there. And, and you do set up a, a, a difficulty for yourself if you're so good in the early stages. But again, people get used to you to a certain extent. People learn about you. Uh, that's the other side. That's the other side of the coin of of playing more against um, these good teams. Yeah, yeah, for sure. He's not a mystery bowler anymore, uh, but he's still a very good bowler. But yeah. uh, he needs some uh, some support. Uh, so those are the uh, those are the players of the weekend. Massive honourable mention to Ben Stokes, of course, who's been uh, kind of the only grown up in the room as far as English batting has been <laughs> yeah. concerned yeah. Uh, to to some extent. Uh, well, we also talked about Mashrafi Mortaza uh, and uh, the someone who Hendo mentioned a little bit earlier. Uh, on uh, was uh, your player of the week. It's always time Born for Shaheen Afridi. No, not that other guy, that Shaheen. It's always time for Shaheen Afridi. No, not that other guy, he used to hide the ball. Shaheen Afridi, Shaheen Afridi. Uh, yes, absolutely. He's uh, he's my performer of the week. It's been a good week for left arm um, quick bowlers. Um, we've seen uh, Jason Berendorf. He might have maybe Berendorf might have squeezed him out. Uh, the reason that he didn't is that I feel 
Berendorf got a couple of wickets at the top of the order, came back later, picked up wickets. Uh, what I liked about Shahina Freedy's performance was that um, he ripped out uh, the top order, really, of um, uh, New Zealand. And not only that, he came into the game with an average of 41 with the ball. Uh, by the end of his fifth over, he had figures of 5, 2, 9, 3. He'd taken three wickets in the tournament. Yeah, well, there the you go. The tournament, and he'd taken three wickets in his first four overs. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And, uh, you know, he had help with, uh, from Safraz with a, a fantastic catch. Um, but it was good to see. He bowled really well, I thought. Um, swung the ball um, a little bit as well. And, uh, you know, he, he's, he's a tall man. He, he's probably got a good future. He's been a little bit overshadowed by the fact that Mohamed Amir has done well in this tournament. Uh, himself coming back from um, a sort of barren uh, time. And uh, um, I was, I'm, I'm pleased to say that he, he really... He really ended that game for New Zealand. I know that uh, Jimmy Neesham and uh, Colin de Grondon did the best that they could um, uh, down the line, but uh, by ripping out that, that uh, top order, Ross Taylor, if Ross Taylor had got established with the likes of Williamson there, then uh, they could have been looking down at 3.20. So I think uh, that he really... Uh, it was a match-winning performance, I think. Yeah, it's a little bit surprising, actually, that New Zealand haven't made a change at the top of the order. Monroe's been out of form for a very long time and probably doesn't look like an ODI opener. Maybe he could be better suited biffing uh, down the order but then they've got a few biffers um, Henry Nichols might well play uh, in uh, in New Zealand's next game against Australia interesting to see if Tim Southey uh, comes in uh, as well uh, but uh, we'll move on to uh, Bears uh, performance of the week and my moment of the week uh, which are uh, contained within the same person Every breath you take I picked out the moment of an absolutely brilliant and nerveless catch by Trent Bolt uh, to end a wonderful innings by that man, Carlos Brathwaite. Well, yeah, I mean, I watched that game and I, I didn't mean to. I watched the end of the Afghan game and I thought, oh, I'm just lying on the sofa at home. It's been a fucking hectic week. I'm just going to turn the other game on. So <laughs> I've watched nearly every game in this tournament. I might as well keep on. And I turn it on because obviously I've been travelling around with Barry and Barry's doing stuff for the West Indies. And I, and I started watching that innings and when I turned it on they were two down but um, Hetmeyer and, and Gale were going like a train and they were miles ahead and the old Sky Wind predictor had uh, you know West Indies at 87% New Zealand at 13% they were getting hammered and then within an instant they were seven down and it had all gone horribly wrong and I was sitting there WhatsApping him going what the fuck because this is what they've been going on about all the time in the changing room this is this headless approach to the cricket but then I looked at it and I thought, you know what, Roach is in it. I, I've seen him, you know, I've seen him bat a test match. He can stay there. They've actually got 29 overs to get about five and a half and over. Brathwaite can bat. There is a chance here. And everyone was writing him off on the TV and Bish was going mental. And I was going, well, you know what, I'm just going to keep watching this. So I watched it and pottering out the room, pottering back. Eventually Roach went. And then eventually, uh, is it... Uh, Sheldon Cottrell. Sheldon Cottrell went, but they stuck around and he kept going and then it got down to them needing about 14. You thought, well, he's got the time. You're not going to trust O'Shane Thomas. We've watched him a few games and he, he was going nowhere with the bat. If you could just stay there, and Brathwaite took the right approach, which was to start trying to hit it over the boundary, got away with it, and we'd seen what he'd done to Ben Stokes in that World T25. Uh, he he, he played one shot. There was a slower ball from, I think, Matt Henry. 
outside off stump, which he played one-handed over deep point yes. for six. Yes, it landed on top of the sponge. And you just thought, oh, come on, Carlos, come on. You can do it, you can do it. And then that last moment happened, which was your moment of the week. And it was a fine catch, and there was a lot of pressure. And, you know, you couldn't blame Brathwaite for where he got there. It was a stupendous... I mean, the last wicket was 41, and Shane Thomas didn't score yes, a it's, run. Yes, it's the, uh, the highest ever uh, uh, World Cup ODI partnership without, uh, with one person scoring naught. Yeah, and it was, it was just phenomenal, and he so nearly got there, and he so felt for him. And he was down on his knees at the end, holding his bat, and he just thought, oh. Yeah, and there was a lot of, you know, there was a lot of, every New Zealand player was queuing up, basically, to pat him on the pat him on the back and pat him on the head. So, yeah. yeah, and it was an amazing game of cricket again. But yeah, I just want to, you know, Trent Bolt is a fantastic fielder, we all know that. He dropped a catch earlier in, yeah. the, in the game, which is unusual for him, but uh, just, it's very rare that a game comes down to one moment. But that game did, because Trent Bolt takes that catch, New Zealand win. If he drops the catch, if he overbalances, uh, if he treads on the rope, New Zealand lose. Yeah. And just the, the execution of those those fundamental skills under pressure is what kind of sets this New Zealand uh, team. It's, quite, it's those benchmarks that they set so well. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. I mean, if, if I'd been on this program, if I'd been on this uh, podcast last week, I'd have been uh, eulogising about um, uh, Kane Williamson's deft little glide fine of the man on the 45 uh, at third man, uh, which I think is what got them over the line again. South Africa. South Africa. Um, people will look and say, well, in the next over, he swiped that wonderful six over mid wicket to win it. But I'm not sure that he would have had the the bravery to take that on had he not got that four at the end of the penultimate yeah. over. I think that's what won it for New Zealand. I was at that game and I said, to, I can't remember who was there, but I said, I remembered that game in the, it was the World Cup, wasn't it, when uh, they got they got Australia out for 150 and then he in the group six, stage of Wellington. six after they were getting hammered. Yes, and again, it was a very similar situation to uh, Bradley because exactly, he, he, had Trent, he had Trent Bolt at the other end. Mitchell Stark was bowling fi- Thunderbolts at the other end. And he took on Pat Cummins down the ground, hit him for six, won the game. And, you know, if Starker bowled one more over, Australia would have won. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's exactly the same. Um, utterly nervous, uh, a brilliant captain, a brilliant batsman, and uh, not at all boring, despite the opinions of some, uh, <laughs> some utterly misguided commentators on this show. Uh, well, uh, we're talking about uh, Mitchell Stark bowling uh, Thunderbolts. Uh, Bear, you picked out uh, your moment uh, of, uh, of the week. Oh! Oh well, that sits all over. I did say they brought the man on to do the damage. He is going to be England's bet noir. And he is. He has bold Ben Stokes. Uh, Mitchell Stark, an absolutely wonderful reverse in-swinging Yorker to bold Ben Stokes. Yeah, and I, I mooted about it earlier. I've watched a lot of games. Uh, and as you say, Australia have been a bit sort of discombobulated in the middle of their batting innings didn't seem to know where they're going but what they did know what to do was whenever something needed to be done if it was in the fielding side of the game in anywhere between the 25th and the 40th over they needed the wicket things were going against them they turned to Mitchell Stark Pat Cummins and they uh, invariably get them a wicket or two and as I said earlier I literally I was saying on air I was sitting in a jingle chair and I can't remember who was commentating and I said, you know what, I've watched this the whole tournament and every time they bring on Mitchell Stark, he gets a wicket. Next mm. ball, absolutely scathing, in-swinging, full Yorker to Ben Stokes. He's on, what was he on, 89, 87? Yeah. Was batting like a god, was possibly in to save England and he was the wicket they needed and it just ripped out his off stump. And you, you, you can't give anything but credit to that, unfortunately. Uh, and here's a man 
his highest wicket taker in a tournament and he could possibly win a World Cup which is a pretty depressing again. thing to say yeah again, again. And, he, yeah. and he could actually I mean he, we were talking he, he could uh, set a new benchmark couldn't he for um, wickets taken in a World Cup I think we were saying that uh, Glenn McGrath got 25 or 26 he got 26 in the 2007 World Cup uh, in the West Indies well, I mean, how many games have Australia potentially got left? They've got... Um, what, 25. Two, three, four. Yeah, well, exactly. And, and if he picks up even two wickets per game, then he's, he's ended up on, what, uh, 29 wickets for the tournament? Yeah. No, maybe four, actually. They play seven, haven't they? Um, I think so. Well, probably. <laughs> I can't remember. It's uh, all happening. Uh, the, let's uh, put some actual facts to this, uh, uh, to this speculative... Uh, shenanigans uh, Australia have played seven games yeah, right. uh, so they've got a potential four, four games yeah. left uh, yeah but I still think I mean he's bowling so well I, I, mean, I wouldn't be surprised to see Australia win this tournament I, I, I personally think India will um, but um, he's got plenty of oh, time that's because on the preview pod you said Australia well I, Australia yes I mean I, I, I do think Australia have got a very very good chance um, they, they disappointed a little bit in their game against India that they've already played yeah, interesting. Um, that was the one game where Mitchell Stark wasn't bowling full. Yeah, well, there you go. Um, if if he finds his um, his range in in that game, if it does end up being the final, um, then I think Australia have got every chance of winning. Uh, yeah, it's, uh, they seem to just have cobbled something together. They they have a world class bowler, and when you have a world class bowler, you will sometimes win matches, uh, and well, quite often win matches. In fact, particularly when he's yep. as good as Mitchell Stark. Uh, the, uh, the final moment that we uh, picked out was, was yours, Hendo, and it was uh, a man who's been, again, aligned a little bit, probably a little bit unfairly, uh, but it was uh, a very vital catch that Marcus Stornis took to dismiss Joss Butler. Oh, sorry, a, ma- a vital wicket that Marcus Stornis got, uh, a vital catch by Osman Kawaja to dismiss Joss Butler. Stornis follows oh. a straight ball. This is whipped by Butler. He's caught on the boundary! Butler is caught on the boundary. He absolutely got hold of that one. He's caught on the boundary. The man running round from a... Uh, mid-wicket position to a square leg position and that was, fl- that was flying for six but that is the end and it probably is going to be the end for England as we see many deflated fans and he shakes his head as he's walking off there Butler because he knows he nailed that but he's gone yeah absolutely um, he, he has been a, a beleaguered man um, I, I remember sitting here doing the commentary on the game and Rog was sitting next to me and uh, when when Steinis came out to bat and and he had this attitude that Stoinis was completely hopeless. And against the spin, he was feeling for the ball. You felt like he, he did look like the sort of um, man called up to, or boy called up to the under-11s at the last moment. Um, but I think his bowling's been different and, and uh, or has had a different edge to it. And, and people have said, well, the, the backup bowling for Australia, that's where their weakness lies. And I'm not sure that that's... 100% true now that they've got Nathan Lyon into the attack and I think that was a, a good thing to do certainly against England who seem to have a problem with him um, that, that Stoinis can be useful for 5-6 overs especially right at the death we've seen him bowl well at the death um, with, a, with a mixture yeah, of, of different balls he's not someone you look at his bowling profile and you think he'd be a, uh, an effective death bowler he doesn't have particularly no. good pace he doesn't have a Yorker uh, but he, he is quite clever and I think he's been used very well by Aaron Finch yeah that said, I think if someone does line him up, he could go for an awful lot of runs. Well, I don't think... And, and if he can't bowl those overs at the death, it puts a lot of pressure on someone else. Yeah, possibly that's true. Um, but but I think that uh, the, the, the Finch has bowled him well, and he's not necess- he's, he's rarely going to use him for, for, for the full 10 overs. Yeah. He's going to try and mix him in with um, a little bit of Maxwell as well. Um, going back to the particular moment of the week, as I said, uh, there was a lot of uh, uh, dislike for him on Twitter and his bowling. 
and, and you could argue that he got the crucial wicket. I mean, I know you can look at uh, Mitchell Stark and that fantastic ball to get rid of Ben Stokes. Um, but you, you have to look at the fact that Joss Butler had come in, was with Stokes. Uh, they had taken the score from, I think, 53 to f- for 4 to 124. And England were, England were getting back into the game. They were consolidating well. The two of them were beginning to uh, bat particularly well with intelligence. And then um, Joss Butler yeah, lost it I, to a certain Joss, extent. Joss Butler is is a clever cricketer as well as being outrageously talented. Um, you know, the excellent 100 against Pakistan, it turned out to be in a losing cause, and he's done it against Australia before the last game of the ODI series in, uh, oh. in 2018. Astonishing not. fantastic 100 yeah. batting with no support at all. Yeah. And, you know, if Joss Butler's going into the last 10 overs, you can chase eight and a half, nine and over reason. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. And so I think that was a, cr- a crucial uh, moment, I think, that because right. uh, Kawaja did very well. Well, I was going to say, I mean, that was the other potential moment. I'm watching, when we were watching the highlights, I think that was my other potential moment of the week, but precisely for the reason you were saying, England had got themselves in all sorts of trouble, and it looked like they were getting out of it, and they always seemed to be a wicket behind the pace. And if they'd yeah. carried on for another 30, 40, 50 runs, those two, England would have been, it would have been level pegging. It would have been yeah. quite an exciting end. Uh, and he did. He, he caught that ball that he got caught off pretty well, actually. Well, I think what's what's what's. Um, and then it was a good catch for a guy. Yeah, who, yeah, for a guy who's been maligned for his fitness and his fielding, but actually he's improved a lot. He's a very good fielder now. Well, if you, if you watch that um, catch from side on, from the camera that's side on, looking towards Kawaja at deep he moves square, quite away. he well he moves quickly, but it's how quickly he moves his feet. He moves really quickly right at the beginning. He must have picked it up pretty early, realised how much he had to put in. And in the end, he makes it look like a comfortable catch. But actually, the movement of his feet was incredibly good and incredibly quick. Yeah. We, um, we also saw, actually, in that game, uh, Glenn Maxwell, again, making a very difficult catch look so easy that no one gave him any credit for it. It goes, in fact, on the scorecard as an Aaron Finch catch. But Maxwell, uh, ru- running along the boundary rope, in an instant, summing up that he couldn't catch the ball uh, and s- stay in the field of play at the same time, catches it, lobs it up like it's nothing to Aaron Finch runs off to off the field of play uh, and Finch takes the catch you know uh, we gave that as an assist to Maxwell yeah absolutely and I mean I think Chris Wokes would have been a bit unhappy with that because he actually caught it quite he'd hit it quite well Um, and you know there was still a chance a little outside chance that England could uh, could get there if if someone like Wokes could stay there but uh, it wasn't meant to be yeah, and uh, Maxwell is such a good fielder that he uh, often doesn't get the credit he deserves, I think, because he makes things, he makes very difficult catches look really easy. Yeah, he did. And runouts. Yeah, absolutely. Um, a hell of a weapon for Australia to have. Uh, so that's uh, the moments of the week. That's the week officially wrapped up. We'll just finish with a preview of the week's fixtures ahead. Uh, tomorrow is uh, Sri Lanka versus South Africa. Our South Africa cousins, GCSA, uh, will uh, be. Uh, continuing the uh, this African wake and uh, see if Sri Lanka can keep up the pressure on uh, the chasing pack uh, then on Saturday it's a double header uh, regrettably again New Zealand uh, versus Australia uh, New Zealand again being covered by GCSA not regrettably but for necessarily because they're very good but uh, we like watching New Zealand and we haven't got as, to do as much of them as we wanted to uh, but we have Pakistan versus Afghanistan uh, which is a massive game for Pakistan and uh, obviously uh, Afghanistan uh, looking to get their first win of the tournament. Then it's a, it's a massive game on Sunday. England versus India from Edgbaston uh, when uh, we, uh, we see if England can get back on the horse or indeed if, uh, as we said, up the top, the uh, rider can stay on the England horse. Uh, hello, Mark Wood. Uh, then it's uh, Sri Lanka versus uh, the West Indies. Uh, a lot. To, I think that game will be very heavily conditioned by how well Sri Lanka do against South Africa. Then Bangladesh versus India, which uh, again Bangladesh uh, are very much in the hunt. Uh, Bangladesh and India have played some very good games over the last 
few years. Then England's last game against New Zealand. We'll see again how important that's going to be, but I suspect that that'll be a very tense game as well. And the week finishes next Thursday with Afghanistan versus the West Indies. Uh, so it just remains for me to say thank you uh, to uh, Hendo. Uh, thank you. Thank you for having me. Uh, thank you to the Bear. Thank you very much. It's been fun to be back. Thank you to producer John. Uh, and uh, you can get this uh, podcast, GC World Cup Extra, before anyone else by becoming a patron at patreon.com forward slash Gorilla Cricket. Uh, you can sign up at any point and get all of the uh, back uh, episodes as well. But you get it for anyone else while the news is still hot and uh, fresh and delicious. Uh, but uh, subscribe on iTunes. Subscribe on Podbean. Subscribe on Acre. Subscribe on Spotify because uh, it will be on all of those podcast platforms as well. Uh, join us again next time for GC World Cup Extra. Sports Social Podcast Network. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere. And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.